Hi everyone, this is Pastor Brett from First Baptist Church here in Cherryvale, Kansas, and I want to welcome you to our Cherryvale First Baptist Church sermon podcast. Our prayer is that the Lord will speak to you through His Word for His people. If you're looking for a church home, we encourage you to join us for our celebration service every Sunday morning at 1045. It's a great time of praising our Lord and hearing from Him. We are just a group of passionate followers of Jesus Christ with a desire to worship Him and take His message of hope to the heartland. If you want to find out more information about our church, you can look at our website, www.fbcherryvale.org. My sermon will begin in just a moment, and thanks again for listening. Happy New Year, everyone. I invite you to find your Bible this morning and turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. As you're turning there, how many of you have ever seen the movie City Slickers? I love the movie City Slickers. It's about these three friends who lived in New York, and they go out to this dude ranch, and what they do is they want to drive some cattle. They're trying to find out and revolutionize their life. Most of these older movies, there's always some great quotes that come from these movies, and City Slickers is no different. There was one time where Mitch, who's played by Billy Crystal, he was speaking of life, and he said this. He said, have you ever had that feeling that this is the best you're ever going to do? This is the best it's ever going to be, and it ain't that great. But sometimes, that's how we feel, right? It ain't that great. And then there was Phil, who at Curly's funeral, he said this, and I, I kind of disagree with him a little bit, but he said, the man ate bacon every meal. You, you, you just can't do that. Whoa, 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 hold on. Is that true? Is that really true? I mean, doesn't bacon make everything just taste a little bit better? I know Todd would give me an amen on that. But my favorite scene in this movie is a clip where Mitch, he's alone with Curly and they're on a ride and Curly is giving Mitch some life advice. Let's watch our clip. Do you know what the secret of life is? No, what? This. Your finger? One thing. Just one thing. You stick to that and everything else don't mean it. That's great, but what's the one thing? That's what you've got to figure out. One thing. And no, not my finger when I hold it up either. What is the secret of life? What is the one thing? If you're here this morning or you're listening into our podcast and you've been wondering, what is it that God wants to do through me? What is he wants to do to me? What am I doing with my life? As Curly concluded, that's what you have to figure out. Your one thing. You must figure out that one thing that will put you on a trajectory that God, that he has planned for you. That one thing that will be that next step in your spiritual life and in your spiritual walk in God's plan for you. If God's brought you here, it's no surprise. He's got a plan and he wants you to figure it out. He wants you to find your one thing. Think about that as we dive into God's word. Let it speak to us and maybe you'll understand how we might be able to do things a little bit differently in 2017. Please stand in honor of reading God's word. I'm in Isaiah chapter 43. Now, if you would read this whole chapter of Isaiah 43, you'd see that Isaiah, he went through a list of very powerful promises. And this one, I believe, this one here would be a promise to God that he would make with any one of us here. Let's read it. Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. Look at what God said. He said, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to come together today and worship you to start out 2017 honoring and worshiping the God who did so many things for us, the God who we love so much that we wish to honor today. 
May you speak to us through your word. God, I pray that before we leave today, you'll be working on our hearts so that you can be working in our lives and through us and help us understand the one thing or be on a path to understanding the one thing that you want us to do this year that'll make our spiritual life great, that'll be a spiritual revolution for each and every one of us here. Guide us, God. Speak to us. Strengthen us today. It's in your name we pray. And all God's children said, amen. You may be seated. Now, in that passage, remember, God said, he was telling us there what? He said, don't dwell on the former things, the things of the past. I mean, can't you see it? He says, I'm doing a new thing. God may be telling you that he wants to do a new thing in you this coming year. So you may be facing something right now, and and you might be saying... I don't know how in the world that we'll ever make it through this, this thing that's going on. I mean, it's hard, and, and I don't know what to do. I don't see a way, God. I've had a number of those times in my life. And just know this. God says, no, when you can't see a way, he says, I see a way. When no one else sees a way in your life, God will tell you, I see it, and I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to do a new thing in your life if, if you'll listen to me. How many of you have already made some New Year's resolutions? Anybody make New Year's resolutions yet? There's a few of you that have. Maybe you're trying to figure out what you're going to do this next year, what your resolutions are going to be. Let's look back over the last year. What about last year's resolutions? Here's the big question. If you made them last year, how'd you do? Were you successful? Were you successful at losing the weight or exercising more, reading your Bible, praying more, spending more quality time with family, getting more involved in the ministries of the church, giving more money or saving more money or whatever it is that you committed or just thought you were committing to do last year? If you're like most people, you know the bad news, right? Because studies show us that by Valentine's Day every year, 75% of those resolutions that were made, you've dropped out. You've forgotten all about them. You've given up on trying to accomplish them. Why? Because you see a lot of us. We have what we might call good intentions. But when we look deeper, they're not God intentions. We've got these good intentions. We've got these things that we want to accomplish, things that we want to do that might make us better or our life better. But I want to challenge you today. What I believe we need to do is we need to look at that and have God intentions. We need to listen to the Spirit of God. And then I believe that He will speak directly to each and every one of us. And He will show us that one thing, that one thing that He wants to do in our life. And then instead of having just good intentions in your life, intentions that are very me-centered, focused on you and your life, you'll have some God intentions that are very God-centered. When God births something in you, you can bet on it that it will come about. He will bring it to conclusion. What I want to do this morning is I'm going to ask you four one-thing questions. And my prayer is that God, that he will use these questions to birth in you one God-centered thing that will be different at the end of this year. You know, after years of discouragement and resolutions, now every year I seek God and I go into my New Year's and I say, God, what is that one thing? What's the one thing that you want to be different in my life? I'm not going for five things. I'm not going for ten things. I'm not going for a whole list of things like some people are. I'm going for one thing. One thing that needs to be different. Well, what's the big deal about that, right? You're only doing one thing the entire year, not changing much in your life, are you? Well, in reality, if you really look at it, Each one of those one things, they may not be a big deal. But how about if you look at it over a decade? If there's 10 new one things that God has birthed in my life, 10 new disciplines, 10 new spiritual passions in my life, when we go through a decade of those one things, I'm going to tell you, your life could be totally different and completely changed. 
So I'll encourage you as we go through these four one thing questions, questions that I believe will help you birth one new God-centered thing in your life for this year. Something that he'll do if you'll allow him, if you'll let him join you in your spiritual walk. We'll do this by looking at different verses throughout the Bible that have that word one thing in them. The first one thing question I would ask this morning is this. Under number one, in your prayer time, what one thing do you desire from God? What do you desire from him? Think about it this way. Above anything else in your life, if God said to you, I will do one thing that you ask... What would be the driving force of your prayer life? Turn with me to Psalm chapter 27. In Psalm 27, David, he asked God for many different things here, but he's described as a man after God's own heart. Perhaps the reason he was a man after God's own heart was because if David desired one thing, this verse tells us what he desired. Look at it, Psalm 27, verse 4. He said this, One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after above all else. He says what? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. If I could only do one thing, he says, I want to be with God. I want to be in his presence. I need to know that he is with me always. There's one thing that I need in the good times, he says, it's God. If there's one thing I need in the bad times in my life, he says, it's God. I need him. If there's one thing I need above all else, he says, it's to dwell, to live in the presence of God. What one thing do you desire from God? Many of you, you're at a place in your life where you would say, you know what? There's someone close to me that's, that's not a believer. They don't believe, or at least they don't act like they're a believer, okay? And there's one thing that I would want God to do. I love God to use me to touch this person's life. God, help me understand how to reach this person, how to touch their life, to help bring them into a relationship with you. So the driving force of your prayer life, it would be, God, let me love this person into a relationship with you. Some of you, there may be an addiction. There may be some kind of stronghold in your life. One thing that is keeping you from going further in your relationship with God. And you say, this isn't just a resolution. This is a God burden within me. And I'm no longer going to let this one thing, I'm not going to let this keep me from fully pursuing God in my life. And I believe with all of my heart that the Holy Spirit, that he's going to come in and he's going to give me the power to overcome this one thing, this addiction or this burden that is in the way of me getting deeper with God. Some of you, you may look at your marriage and you say, you know what? It's not where God wants it to be. And my one thing, the thing you desire from God, it would be this, that he would bring healing to your marriage. How? Well, listen, this is the thing that you're tempted to desire. This would, most people, this is the one thing that they tempted to desire, that God, that, well, he, he would fix that other person, right? God, please fix them so that our relationship will be better. The one thing that it is in your life making you miserable. But in reality, you see, it could be that God, that he wants to change your heart. Change you so that he can heal your marriage. Some of you, you've been promising for a long time that you're going to slow down one day, someday, not today, maybe not even tomorrow, but, but one of these days I'm going to slow down. And years, years have gone by and you're missing out on life. And your one thing, it may be, God, I need you to help me enjoy your presence. And my one thing I need, God, I need to do life. And I need to do it according to the rhythms of your grace, not according to the patterns of this world. What one thing, what one thing would you have God do in your life? This past year as I was overwhelmed with the challenges of life and, and I cried out to God, I said, God, this is too much. This is too much. And God, I said, my one thing I desire from you, the one thing I need is vision. I need some vision, God. And this is what God did. 
He led me to a story. It's a metaphoric story out of the book of Ezekiel in chapter 37. Ezekiel, he finds himself in a desert valley. He's surrounded by dead, dry bones. How did he get there? Well, he didn't just get up that morning and say, Today, I think I'm going to go find me a valley. I'm going to go looking for this place that has some dead, dry bones in it. And I'm going to go there and I'm going to do something. No, you see, according to the Bible, what happened was Ezekiel sort of got teleported there into this barren valley that was full of these dead, dry bones. He finds himself there, and I've got to think that he felt pretty lonely while he was there. It's just him and a bunch of dead, dry bones. Oh, we can't forget God was there too, right? And God, he asked Ezekiel this question. He asked Ezekiel, can these old dry bones, can they live? Ezekiel, he, he was kind of confused by this, and he doesn't know how to answer the question. After all, he's talking to God, and so he gets a little clever here. His answer is clever. He says, well, God, you know the answer. And he's right. God did know the answer. God does know the answer. And, he, and God, he tells Ezekiel that he'll make those old dry bones live again. He says, I'll add muscle and I'll add skin to them. He says, then I'll breathe life into them. And what appeared dead in that moment will walk this earth again. And they will be my people. See, what God did was he used this story as the jumping point on to my one thing for this year. God was showing me that what appears dead, which was the spirit and the life of his church, it will live again. That he breathes new life into his church, into this church. We will once again make a difference in this community and in this world for him. He used it as a motivator. Something that I needed to hear to keep discouragement, to keep it from creeping into my ministry. To ensure that I stayed focused on God's plan for my life and for his church. Then God used three other verses to ensure that I'd stay focused on his plan for his church. The first one is Habakkuk 2.2. 2. It says, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. He used these verses to help me understand. I need to write it out. Write out the vision for the church. So what you're going to see is you're going to see more and more of this vision coming out in the months to come as we engage in key parts of this vision in 2017. The second verse he used was Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. God used this to instill in me an understanding that we must have a vision for his church. For it to be successful in accomplishing his will. It's like an exchange in that movie Alice in Wonderland. And I'm sure all of you have seen Alice in Wonderland, right? It's an exchange between Alice and the Cheshire Cat. It kind of goes like this. Alice, she begins by asking, what, would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? And that depends a great deal on where you want to go, said the cat. I don't care where, said Alice. Well, then it doesn't matter much which way you go, said the cat. So long as I get somewhere, Alice added as an explanation. Oh, you're sure to do that, said the cat. Meaning, for this church, if we don't know where we're going as a church, we'll end up somewhere. We'll end up there, but it won't be where God wants us to be. So we're going to engage in a common vision for First Baptist Church. A vision that will drive our decisions, it will guide our spending, and it will help us target our activities and unite us all for this common goal. As we roll out this vision, if you're a member of this church, it's your responsibility to support the vision. Support it with your actions, with your voice, with your tithes. Now, I know some of you are probably going to say, well, I just can't support the vision. I'm going to continue to not give a dime to this church. I don't agree with what God is doing here. Well, then all I can do is, if you're a person like that, then I, all I can do is encourage you to go. Find a church that you can do that in and follow God and let him use you there. 
Look, I'm going to tell you, being out of unity with the church and out of the support of the church is a sin. It's biblical. It's a sin. And for the sake of your own spiritual growth and the growth of this church, you need to either get in unity with this church or you need to find a place that you can. The third verse is this, Habakkuk 2.3. It says, For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Here God was working on me to instill patience, which Stephanie will tell you is not my strong suit. He wanted patience in me as he works his plan. Though I wish that the vision could be implemented like, like that, change. It takes time and it takes patience as we redirect the church vision. God will bring to his church. He'll bring to us people that we can minister to, people that will benefit from being a part of this fellowship in Jesus Christ. And he'll continue to separate in this church the wheat from the tares, meaning that he'll remove from this fellowship those that are not in unity with this church and with his plan, just as he's done before. Enjoyable? No. But I've got to tell you, it's a necessary part of church growth. All I can say is this, thank you, Lord. Thank you for caring and leading your church. Then as I went beyond just these verses, the one thing that centered around reading of a book, he led me to a book by Kyle Eidelman called AHA. AHA stands for Awakening Honesty Action. All year, every day, I read one chapter a day in that book over and over and over again for the entire year. And guess what God's doing? He's doing what his word said it would. If you lack anything, he says, ask and I will give it to you. So as we go forward, I'm going to be sharing with you the key concepts that I learned this past year in a series beginning next Sunday. For some of you, I've got to tell you, this series, it will be life-changing if you'll embrace the concepts that will be taught in that series. And it'll open up and it'll allow God to take hold of your life. And you'll be able to take action doing what he desires for you to do in your life. That's my 2016 one thing. As we kick off 2017, let me ask you, what one thing do you desire from God? The second question I want you to ask yourself is this. When it comes to your spiritual life, when it comes to your relationship with God, what one thing do you lack? What one thing is missing? In Mark chapter 10, there's an interesting exchange there. It's just a story of a rich guy who encountered Jesus. He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, well, you need to obey the commands. <laughs> this guy, very proudly, he's like, commands? Check, 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 check. Okay, I've done all of them. I've done all of them. But Jesus... What did he do? He looked right through his outward obedience and he looked into the man's heart and he saw the problem. A problem this guy didn't even know that he had. So Jesus said to him something that he didn't say to anybody else. In verse 21 of Mark chapter 10, Jesus looked at him and did what? What does it say? Jesus looking at him, he did what? Loved him. But notice then, after that, he's about to say something very difficult. But understand, it's all in love. He said this, one thing, not two things, not ten things. He said, but one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come, follow me. He says, if there's one thing that's standing in the way of you completely following Jesus, it's your material possessions, the desire for security from the wealth that you have in this world. And Jesus said, that's the one thing that's in the way. So go and sell it. Sell it all so that you can fully follow me. Then in verse 22, the Bible says this. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Check this out. It's amazing. Jesus, he specifically showed him the one thing he lacked, and he was unwilling to do it, to do anything about it. 
I suspect there are many here or many listening in that over a period of years, God, that he has shown you the one thing that's lacking in your spiritual life that you haven't been obedient with. But if you're doing a new thing, as we talked about this morning, you will be obedient to that one thing that God shows you that you lack in your life. What is it? You know, I had a guy come up to me a while back, and he says, you know, I used to read through my Bible all the time. Every day, I would read God's Word. I would study His Word. It was the closest I had ever felt to God. But then he said, I stopped reading my Bible, and I'm not as close as I was to God anymore. All I got to say to him is, friend, there's your one thing right there. There's one thing, one thing that could totally transform your spiritual life. Maybe you've been a part of the church for a long time and you don't really have great fellowship in the church or you're not part of a Sunday school class or a small group and you're going, okay, I know, we're, we're going to do that. We'll do it one day. Really? Really? No. Perhaps that's the one thing that you need to do to spiritually allow your life to take off. Some of you, you've been wrestling with this whole tithing thing in your life. You know the truth. If I will give to God my first and my best and trust him, he will bless the rest. You fought it and you fought it. Perhaps that's your one thing this year is to get right with God in tithing. The point where God is saying to you here now, he's saying, do you really believe it or do you not believe it? Do you believe what I'm trying to tell you? And if you do, will you trust me or not? Some of you, maybe you really know that you need someone to hold you accountable. You drift off into sin and it messes you up. You drift away from those that you love and you truly need someone around you that will speak into your life. If you closely look at many well-known people today, even in the Christian circle, you'd see many of their lives are falling apart. You know why? Because there's no one, no one walking alongside of these people. No one that is willing to say to them at the most critical points, what are you thinking? Accountability. For some of you, that may be your one thing that you need this year. When it comes to your relationship with God, what one thing do you lack to move forward with God? The third one thing question this morning is this. What one thing do you need to let go? What one thing do you continue to grip, to hold on to, that holds you back from where God wants you to be? What one thing do you need to let go of? The Apostle Paul, in a very powerful chapter in Philippians 3, he was talking here about how he wanted to know Christ. I mean he wanted to truly know Christ here. Not about him, but he wanted to know him. Check this out in verse 13. Look what he says. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. This one thing I'm going to do, I'm forgetting what's behind me, and I'm straining to look forward to what's ahead, and I'm pressing on. Now, we don't know exactly what Paul was letting go of. We kind of know what it could have been. I mean, remember, he was the guy that personally said to stone Stephen, so maybe he's trying to let go of that. It could have been the pain that he experienced from suffering for Christ. Maybe he was trying to let go of that. I mean, remember, he's, he was five times he was whipped, each time with 40 lashes across his back. Maybe he said, I've got to let go of that. Remember, he was beaten three times with rods. He was shipwrecked three times. He was stoned, and not recreationally like our friends out in Colorado and Washington and so many other states right now. He was stoned and left for dead. Perhaps he was saying, I need to let go of that, and I need to move forward in my life. Let me give you a picture. Many years ago, back in the high school age, I was at a a church youth camp. And at this camp, there was a couple of trees that were kind of close together. And between these trees, there was what they would call a slack line. Now, if you don't know what a slack line is, I pray that you never do. It's this tight rope between these two points that's really not tight. 
And it's sort of a bouncy tightrope. And if you're an idiot, you will try to walk across that rope. Well, that year, being the chief idiot, I decided I'm going to try to walk across this rope. So I climbed up there, and I'm standing up there in the tree, and, and I'm holding on to this tree, and my fellow idiots, they're down below. They're saying, you have to let go of the tree to get across. And I'm like, uh-uh, uh, I'm not letting go of my new best friend, oh, Mr. Tree. I love you, Mr. Tree. I'm not letting go of you. But they kept saying, you have to let go. And so I took one step. And as I took that step, the rope violently threw me up and boom, popped me down like a pancake. Of course, as teens, what did they do? They were standing there laughing at me, laughing, calling me all kinds of names. And I'm like, you know, right? Nobody calls me names. Nobody calls me names, right? Move back. Watch this. Now, if you're ever stupid enough to try this, here's the key, okay? You have to let go. You have to let go. This is what you have to do. When you go across, you focus on the other side. You keep your eyes on that other tree. And you don't look down. You don't look up. You don't look back. You look across. You focus on that tree. So I let go. And I was focusing on that tree. I didn't look back. I didn't look down. I stayed focused on the goal. What's the goal of your life? What is the goal of your life? It's to keep your eyes focused on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. There are some, the reason you're not moving forward in your life, it's because you're holding on to something from the past. And I'm telling you, just like it was me with that tree, it's time to let go, to let it go. Someone hurts you, and you're holding on to it with all of your might, and you've got this unforgiveness, and you've got this bitterness in your life, and God would say to you, I want to do something new. But you can't dwell in the past, and you've got to press on. You want to know the one biggest problem in marriages today? The biggest problem in marriages today. I'm convinced the biggest problem is this, and it's a problem in many churches as well. It's people won't let go of the past. Your spouse has hurt you, so what do you do? You continue to punish them for what happened in the past. And sometimes it was even long in the past. And you punish them. Maybe you failed at something and in your life and you're holding on to it and you're internalizing it. And you're wrongly believing that you're a failure just because you messed up. But listen to me. Understand, you're not a failure. Yeah, yeah sure, that, that's something that happened. But that's not who you are. And you don't let that define you. You let go of that. You obey the faith risk that God is calling you to take. And you don't continue to live in the pain of the past. Maybe you let yourself down and you think, you know what? God's going to hold this against me. He's never going to forget it. No, 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 no. Listen, the thing had happened. Yeah, it was probably wrong. But guess what you're going to do? You're going to let it go. Let it go. It's been forgiven by God and you have to move forward in your life. You let go of the pain of the past and you press on. Let it go. Just let it go and it's a new day. And understand, God's doing a new thing. What's the one thing that you need to let go of? The fourth and final one thing question I'm going to ask you this morning is this. What one promise do you need to claim? Now understand, this is not name and claim it theology here. You're not going to say, oh God, I claim a million dollars in your name and he's going to give. No, that's not what I'm talking about. But what one promise from God do you need to claim? In the Old Testament, talk about David a lot. He was a young man. He was anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. Samuel, remember, he came and he looked at all of Jesse's kids, and he's like going, ooh, handsome. No, not you. Ooh, ooh, talented. Not you. Ah, strong. Not him either. And he went through all of Jesse's boys and not finding the right one. He says, do you have any others? 
And Jesse's like, well, there's the runt of the family. He's, he's kind of taking care of the sheep right now. I don't think it could be him. It can't be him. Little runt David. He comes up and God says, I don't look at what people look at. I look at the heart. This young man is going to be the next king. And right there, God made a promise. He gave a promise to him. Maybe you've had a promise. You believe that God, that he has shown you a vision for your future, but it's not coming about. And you're going, where are you, God? I don't see it. That's exactly what happened to David. As soon as he was anointed the next king, every time he had a victory in his life, there would be Saul. And what was Saul doing? He was coming after him, trying to run him down, trying to destroy him. Every time David moved forward, then he moved back. He'd move forward, and then he'd move back. The whole time, he could have been thinking, Hello, I don't see it, God. I know this is what you said you were going to do, what what was going to happen, but I simply don't see it. There was one particular time when he was running from Saul. So he decided he was going to go and he was going to hide amongst the Philistines. (laughs) I'm sure he thought it was a good idea at the time. But when he got there, he said, well, this is actually kind of a a stupid idea. So what did he do? He had not just one stupid idea. He said, well, he had another stupid idea, which was to act crazy. He says, yeah, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to act like a man. (laughs) Okay, sorry. That's my best man-man act. But all of a sudden, he got himself caught. Now, he's caught right between a rock and a hard place. And it didn't seem like anything. Anything going on was going the way it should. Basically, here's what he said. There are so many things I don't know right now. There are so many questions that I cannot answer. There are so many details that aren't going the way that I wish they would. But look what he said next. This is in Psalm chapter 56, verses 9 and 10. He said, this one thing I know God is for me. David says, the enemies, they are coming after me. I don't know what to do. I take three steps back every time, and I'm scared to death, and I don't know what's supposed to happen next. But this one thing, this one thing I know beyond anything else in my life is this, that my God is for me. Friend, if you haven't been saying that, if you haven't been believing that in your life, it's time to do it starting right now. David says, I am trusting God. Oh, praise his promises. I am not afraid of anything mere man can do to me. Yes, praise his promises. This one thing I know. And there are so many things he says, I don't know. He says, but this I do, that God is for me. And because of this one promise, because it is true in my life, that I don't see anything else, this one thing I know, God, he is still on the throne, and he is for me. Some of you. God is going to give you a promise, and you're going to hang on to it, and it will sustain you. It will sustain you like food nourishes your body. It will carry you when you are weak, this one thing that you know. What promise do you need to claim? I've got to tell you, in the early part of my ministry, many of you know, things seemed to be falling apart. I was breaking down. There were times I was scared to death, times I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know what to do next. I didn't know where God was leading. I said, God, I'm weak. I'm inadequate. I'm just not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't know what to do. I'm not strong enough. I can't continue on this way. During that time, God gave me one promise that I still hold on to today. Scripture declares, right? In your weakness, in your inadequacy, God says, my strength will be made perfect. Well, since then, we haven't been building the ministry on my strengths We've been building it on my weaknesses because it's in my weaknesses that God, that his power is made perfect. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I needed that. And at times I still do today. 
Let me close with this. What one promise from God do you need to claim? What one thing do you desire from God above all else? What one thing do you lack? What is the Holy Spirit, what is He showing you that you lack in your life right now? What one thing do you need to let go of? It's time to let it go. Let it go. Let it go and just press on, press forward. What one promise do you need to claim? Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. For our God is a great God who is with you now and he's doing a new thing in your life. If, if you'll let him. Let's pray. I want to thank you for listening to the message today. I pray that this message somehow has touched you and created within you a passion for action for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have any questions or you need to make any decisions or you just need to talk to someone, I encourage you to contact your local pastor. And if you don't have one, if you don't have a local church, you may contact me through the church office at 620-336-2777. We'd love to see you on Sunday mornings in church for our celebration service. It's a great time of fellowship and worship of our Lord and Savior. Come join us. We know you'll be blessed. And thanks again for listening to the Cherryvale First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast, and have a blessed day.